Hi, everybody. This is Mary Ellen LePianca, again with the uh, Gloucester Historical Commission. And we're here to continue our discussion of the history of Stage 4 Park, very long and interesting history. With me today are Bill Remsen. Hi. And uh, Bob Whitmarsh. Hello. And Jude Seminara. Hello. <laughs> and... Uh, we, we've already talked about this to some extent, and we got up through the Civil War period, and we're going to continue on. But we wanted to go back a little bit uh, because we have some interesting information about the War of 1812 as it was conducted from Stage Fort Park. And Jude, uh, who's with us, is our expert on cannons and forts and things like that and has done a lot of research on it. So we thought we would talk about that because the, the cannons have quite an interesting history. So in um, 1813 actually um, Gloucester constructed Stage Fort and called it State Fort um, and they erected a barracks. Um, Jude, can you talk to us a little bit about the War of 1812 on Stage Fort Park? So um Given that well, Cape Ann in general was a fairly predominant seaport along the East Coast, um, it was obviously a target for British raiders. So um, a, a good portion of the coastline was fortified. I mean, if you've been down to Baskin Neck, there's the Sea Fencibles Barracks. Um, there was a few skirmishes off in Folly Cove, the Folly Cove area where British ships attempted to land. Uh, there was a raid on uh, Anasquam Harbor, so it was wise to fortify um, Gloucester Harbor, and there were gun emplacements at the Fort neighborhood over by Harbor Cove and um, Stage Fort Park. It was, I believe it was Captain Haskell. There were two or three companies of troops, and I believe it was Captain Haskell that fortified Stage Fort Park. They brought in... Um, a couple pieces of artillery and built a barracks which burned shortly after the war ended. Do we know anything about the uh, the armaments though and any more details about what kind of cannons they might have had there? I believe they were 24 pounders and uh, they were moved shortly after the end of the war. There was an armory up on Prospect Street and I believe they were repurposed elsewhere. For the audience, can you explain what a 24-pounder is? What, what do they mean? What do you mean when you say 24-pound? 24 24-pounder 24 cannon is one that fires a shot that weighs 24 pounds. Um, the cannon probably weighed somewhere along the lines of four or 5,000 pounds itself. And, uh, and how big in diameter would the, the mouth of the cannon be? Good question. Uh, maybe about four or five inches. Thank you. So you're looking at the size of like something larger than, say, a you know men's Olympic shot put, or or a uh, softball, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, so after uh, the War of 1812, uh, according to our research, uh, the park was used, or the park wasn't even a park yet, but it was used as a, a farm. It was a pasture. And there are wonderful paintings during the mid-1800s by our famous local artist Fitzhenry Lane and others, for example, Mary Blood Mellon, showing these uh, the, the area as a sort of a pastoral 
um, with cows grazing along Cressy's Beach and in Fisherman's Field. Um, and it was called the Huff Farm, H-O-U-G-H. The road that goes through there is called Huff Street, is it, or Huff Lane? I forget. Um, and it was privately owned, even though uh, the owner, Benjamin Huff, uh, was okay with having it used recreationally by people. Uh, people were always uh, going in there. In 1840, Benjamin Huff actually offered to give his property to the city, but uh, the city turned him down. And I don't know, does anybody know why? I have done a lot of research and I cannot find out why Gloucester did not accept. They probably wanted the taxes. The farm. Oh, is that right? I don't know. I, I don't know either, but it, it would be interesting to find out. Um, then we have the start of the Civil War in 1863, and I think that was, wasn't that a time for major rearmament of the uh, fort area? Yeah, in 1864, the civil, the in the midst of the Civil War, the fort was built up. I, from looking at pictures, that was like the most complicated iteration of the fort. It was more than um, like earthen breastworks. It was uh, looked like from pictures, it looks like either sod or brick or some other form of masonry. And um, three guns were placed there. There's again the other fort at Fort Point was armed. Gloucester got ten guns. Um, three of them went to stage four. Um, there was a corporal's guard under Major Blunt that was stationed there. And then after the war, the fort was again abandoned. It didn't see any action. Some of these, uh, we have some very nice photographs of the Civil War fort, which uh, seem to indicate that they were, as you've said, were using uh, brick and stone uh, as well as, as sod, perhaps. And... Do we see any evidence of that material today? Um, I haven't noticed, like, just walking around the fort. I, I feel like those earthworks have been weathered and dug down and repurposed. I, my guess would be the brick was repurposed for something else. It's, I think it's quite possible that some of that earlier material is still there, but it's just buried under slump and, yeah. and debris that's accumulated in the last... 150 years. Now, that, that Civil War fort was given a new name, wasn't it? Yep, it was named Fort Conant after Roger Conant, the leader of the Dorchester Company. Yeah, Roger Conant is the one who led the Dorchester Company people from Cape Ann to Beverly in 1626. Another thing about the cannons in the Civil War fort is that they appear to be on a fairly complex uh, wooden um, supports, which allowed the guns to to uh, aim, uh, to traverse back and forth as they aimed outwards from the fort and also to recoil. Uh, Jude, do you have any comments about what's what's visible in this this photograph right here in terms of the uh, the carriage that the guns were on? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's called a traversing carriage. There's like a, a rail system that's like semicircular underneath the base of it. And then the gun itself is mounted on like a separate carriage with wheels. So when it recoiled, it, at the recoil when it fired, the gun would roll back and be checked. Um, it was traversed with hand spikes, which are like long crowbars that gave the gun crew leverage to kind of swivel it. So it had more of a range of fire. There's a greater field of fire than just a gun sitting on a carriage pointing out 
the embrasure at the harbor. How many people would be involved in firing those guns? It depends on the size of the gun. Um, could be the crews could be from, you know, four or five guys to eight or ten guys, depending on wow. ammunition needs and right, etc. Um, that um, powder magazine, kind of like if you've been up at the fort, that kind of like little doored off mm-hmm. enclosure is kind of a mock-up of what a powder magazine might have been. So, you know, it would be underground and to be fairly protected because you don't want it catching fire, blowing up, getting hit with somebody else's shot. Right. So um, depending on the needs of, there would be a crew that would help arm that, like bring out ammunition to the crew manning the gun. Mm-hmm. The Just from an archaeological perspective, I'm... I, I'm because I'm a great advocate of doing archaeology on the fort, which is another subject. The um, these traversing rails that the guns, the Civil War guns, were on, might be something that would have survived. It would have been left in place because it might not have been. It might have rusted severely and not been worth recycling or taking away. So, to the future archaeological team, they should keep their eyes open for that. <laughs> for those things, right. Right. and a magnetometer might actually find it, which would be a very interesting uh, yeah. thing to, to consider. Right. Um, after the Civil War, uh, the park uh, was used even more for recreation. Um, celebrations were held there. Entertainments were held there. The circus came and the fairs. I think Barnum and Bailey even was there. There were Wild West shows like uh, Buffalo Bill Cody's Wild West show. And it was during one of those Wild West shows in the uh, late 1870s that the Native Americans told the uh, town fathers that Tablet Rock had been a uh, had spiritual significance to the Indians who had lived on Cape Ann um, in earlier times, and it was noted. It's in our history books and in our uh, in our local history that that happened. Uh, they also held a lot of sports competitions there and religious events as well as civic events. Uh, during that period was the so-called Great Awakening and the spread of transcendentalism. So there would be big camp meetings on in Stagefort Park with people coming to uh, pray together. Um, and then in 1675, between that and 1685, and no, excuse me, sorry, 1875, sorry, there we go. right, 1875 to 1885, uh, Benjamin Huff again uh, offered to give the property to Gloucester, um, and the city did not. Uh, it was remained private property, and there's an old map that shows the whole of Stagefort Park laid out in lots for residential development. But the houses were never built. Um, and in 1885, another old map shows uh, the location and shape of the, what the fort looked like at that time. And Mass Humane Society Lifeboat Number 7 Life Saving Station. Um, and it, it's interesting to try to locate exactly where the life saving station is today. Who can tell us something about that life saving station? I have some information on the life saving station. I guess is that it's over by I think it's Camp Area B, um, off to the side of Tablet. So if you're facing Tablet Rock, there's kind of like an open area to the right, 
as you get down to the water, there's kind of a square like open. It's a, not a big area, maybe 20 feet, 25 feet by 25 feet. Hmm. Um, 1871, uh, a life-saving station, a mortar station was established to shoot lines out to vessels that may have hit the rocks. Um, in 1872, in the winter, or late winter, 1872. Um, they tested howitzers to see how far they could fire, what kind of projectiles would fire at different ranges. Um, the first test was a lignum vitae, which is a type of very hard wood ball, was fired with 150 fathoms of line. A six pounder iron cannonball would fire 300 fathoms of line, which is the entire length of line that they kept in there. Um, in the mortar equipment and a 12 pounder ball broke that line so they had 300 fathoms of range so that's 900 i lied 1800 feet um that they could fire a line out to set up life-saving apparatus a, a fathom is six feet right yeah. yeah was this to test it or was this actually to try to rescue people in the harbor that was the test that was to test the material um i don't I haven't come across anything where the mortar was used. I know the lifeboats assisted in a rescue of a um, steamer from Beverly, and they split. Uh, I think it was a life-saving a, a life-saving service lifeboat and a mass humane lifeboat assisted the rescue of a steamer that was struggling and brought the passengers to brought the passengers to shore. Uh, if you look at charts in the U.S. Coast Pilot, which is a guide published by the U.S. Coastal Service, there's a life-saving station on that spot up until the late 1920s. It, it, just as an aside, there, there, were, there was an incredible system of life-saving stations all along the coast of Massachusetts, and you still see some. There's one in Nantucket that survives and mm -hmm. on the Cape, and also in, in Gloucester, in Bayview, there's one that has survived. It's mm. uh, on the north side there. It's a, it's a beautiful structure, but mostly they were repurposed or moved or torn down. So uh, forgive me as somebody with no nautical background, if I'm struggling in the harbor, a, a rope can be shot to me and I grab the rope and haul myself back in? Within is that reason. what happens? Within, <laughs> within reason, they'd, they'd set up an, either like a breeches buoy, which is kind of like a um, pair of like flotation. A, a seat, it's sort of a seat. thing yeah. that, yeah, that you would, and it was, a pretty complicated apparatus because you have to fire a line out, have a line brought back, fire it, send another line out on that, and set up this system of like um, r retrieval. And people would come in one by one, send the buoy back out, someone else would get in. So I'm, I'm trying it. to visualize this. Uh, would I come back in as on a zip line or something? Well, kind of. Similar kind of. to that. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the people back in the days they they couldn't um, they couldn't swim, mm -hmm. and the water would have been so rough that even if they could, they probably would have drowned. Oh right. So that yeah. you, as as Jude was saying, you would you would attach the line to the mast of the ship or someplace relatively high, high. as high as you could that right. was stable, and then go back and forth on the line. Right. Makes sense, and it also makes it very exciting, all of the old shipwrecks that we hear about or see in old uh, etchings, people clinging to the masts and getting washed overboard and things like that. Hmm. So anyway, um, Gloucester finally did purchase Stage 4 Park from Benjamin Huff's heirs. They paid $75,000 for it. 
and it was for the express purpose of creating a public park. And here it's sort of been being used as a public park all this time, but now it's going to be official. Then in uh, the same year, in 1898, uh, the fort was again renewed to get ready for the uh, Spanish-American War. And why, would do we, why did we need harbor defenses during the Spanish-American War? Uh, during the Spanish-American War, there was this fear that the Spanish Navy might attack the East Coast. Um, we were fighting a two-front war down in the Caribbean and um, in the Philippines, at which point the Spanish Pacific fleet was, fleet was pretty much destroyed in a more or less day-long battle. Uh, the, the threat probably wasn't as imminent as it's made it's made out to be but there was a fort at they they had reactivated there was a fort at eastern point that was basically just earthworks where um the coastal artillery was stationed and at that time for whatever reason they had decided that it wasn't the best location and moved it to stage fort park it was company k of the 1st Regiment of Massachusetts Heavy Artillery, um, which is still, you know, a more or less volunteer. There wasn't much of a standing army at the time. We didn't have the, you know, U.S. Army. It was it was still a, a, a mix of militia. local militia, yeah. in essence. Um, they were brought from... The, the Eastern Point Company was deactivated, and another company was brought from Boston... That was in Battery K. It was under George Quimby and Major George Quimby and Captain Frank Howes. Um, there was a, from what it sounds like, there was a pretty extensive quarters set up. They had a um, tents, a mess hall, cookhouses, uh, probably a hospital because they had a hospital steward station with them. It was accommodations for 58 men. Um, they took two pieces of artillery from the Eastern Point fortifications and then were also supplemented with um, rapid fire guns and old three inch muzzle loading field guns um, and also supplemented by a Civil War era, era monitor called the Catskill which had two 15 inch Dahlgren guns um, it was That's pretty, just, those are serious guns yeah it was a pretty archaic setup I mean the Civil War monitors you see in there like those low level like kind of little seagoing tanks but it was a a pretty hefty response to the threat of uh, Spanish invasion. Do we know anything about the um, the the quarters, the structures that they set up uh, to to man the fort? And how, how long were people there at the fort? Because the war was pretty short. Yeah, I don't know that the fort was. I, I don't know that it. How long it lasted? I would assume it was somewhere along the, you know, nine, ten months, maybe a year. Um, the, the forts are built on tent floors, which I'm guessing are like a plank and frame construction and then tented over. The cookhouse probably was more of a solid structure. And, uh, if you look at an 1899 map, it looks like that all that might be in the area of where the, um, behind the visitor center along where the playground is as it moves down more towards the, the Stacy Boulevard side of the fort. Mm. I I the I sus, I do suspect that they they put their tents up on wooden platforms, 
um, which would mean that they wouldn't leave any real foundations, but they probably would be a series of strong, you know, points like stones that, that in the corners and along these spans. So we wouldn't see post holes or, or real foundations for those structures. How, how large a, uh, a, a fort was it at that time? How many people were manning the area? With the, um, including the two officers that were in charge, there were 58, 58 men and a hospital steward. Wow. That's a lot of people. That I is. mean, that's a good size. Yeah. You need some real barracks for that. Yes, you do. And in terms of cook cook facilities, I have some experience with this and I I've seen cook tents that were very similar that also would be on wooden floors and then you you could open up the sides to cool it off and and so it might not have been a a, a structure built with stone or, or brick or something like that. It might have been a more ephemeral structure. So then, as you pointed out, that was a very short war. It was over by 1899. And then the next record uh, we have of it is its official dedication as a park, which was in 1907. There's wonderful pictures or a wonderful photograph of the entire city turned out uh, standing in Fisherman's Field and down on the uh, beach um, in front of uh, Tablet Rock. And at that time, the plaque that is attached to Tablet Rock was installed. Um, that plaque was designed by Eric Pape and affixed to Tablet Rock with, um, you know, the words about how this was the first settlement on Cape Ann in 1623. So the site was commemorated. And one of the things that fascinates me about that photograph is uh, that you can see how much the sea level has risen since then because a lot of the people where they're standing, they would now be, you know, up to their knees in ocean. Uh, it's just sort of interesting that in such a short time you could actually see a significant sea level rise. Sure, it wasn't the tide? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, but you'll see. Okay, I'll look at the you photo. take a look. Uh, then between 1910 and 1930 is when a playground was first installed. They installed concrete picnic tables. The tennis courts were put in. The first ball field was installed. Yes. Well, I just that you mentioned the, the map that the city has when it was conveyed to the city. In the map, I think is drawn in 1879, or but it's it's right around the time the city took ownership of it. Mm -hmm. Shows a ball field. The, yeah. So I suspect there was a ball field there playing. early on. Yeah. Yep, probably the first sport played there. Um, in 1923, the park was restored and beautified for the three, that was its 300th anniversary. Uh, so it was thoroughly uh, fixed up then and trees were put in. In 1925, the seawall and esplanade were constructed that we call Stacy Boulevard. Uh, before then, it, there were houses there um, and, uh, and, a, and a roadway, uh, but Stacy Boulevard was uh, created between the cut and Stage Fort. Also at that time, the Stage Fort Park Visitor Center was first built. It was called the Rest House. What's the date of that? That was 1925. So uh, that rest house was later rebuilt as the current uh, welcome center um, with its, made with uh, beach cobbles, 
which has, I think, been restored or is in the process of being restored. In 1930, uh, those markers were erected that you see when you go through the park, when you go down Huff Avenue, the Massachusetts Bay Colony Tercentenary Commission um, erected those uh, signs. There's one about the settlement of Cape Ann. Um, there's a bronze plaque commemorating the military history of the fort um, that was installed by the Daughters of the American Revolution. The DAR also had done a major restoration of the fort in 1930, and they added two Civil War period guns at that time. Now, are those guns the ones that are still there? So the, right now there are four cannons at Stage 4 Park. During the Civil War, there are only three. Mm -hmm. So we have one extra gun. Uh, um, it's always good to have an extra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so from, as you enter the fort area, from the right closest to the land out to sea is a real 1848 model. Um, I want to say 32-pounder. Um, I have to check my notes. Yes. It's a 32-pounder naval gun. It's got a six and a half inch bore it weighs six thousand pounds six and a half thousand pounds um it was probably it was it's a naval gun probably wouldn't have been used from a land fort um but that was put in and the one the gun at the very end of the fort if you follow the guns out the fourth one's a civil war era parrot rifle it's a 32 pounder so fired a 32 pound bullet in essence um with markings that it was made in 1865. Um, if you go up there, you can look at the, some of the, the markings on that one are particularly clear. You can read, it's on the muzzle face. So if you go to the front and look down the, the bore of the gun, you can see the, the markings. That weighs about 4,200 pounds. Um, the other two aren't real. They're, they were cast in 1906 for the USS Constitution. So when the USS Constitution was done being a receiving ship and they were trying to like fit it out in its early 19th century iteration, um, the the person in charge of the, the refitting had 54 of those cannons cast. He was under the impression, so they're based on like a late 1790s French model, 24 pounder. Um, he was under the impression that that's kind of what would be carried. His successor didn't believe that. Um, wanted to switch it up. The only difference between any of those 54-inch guns, they're all in an identical pattern, is the ones that were up on the um, uh, the weather deck, I believe, were a little bit longer. But other than that, they're almost they're nearly identical. Which two do you think the uh, DAR added in 1930? Probably the Civil War era guns. Mm -hmm. um, the two artificial ones, when the they were, again, in the 1920s, refitting the Constitution... They sold those. I think they sold them for like $150 a piece to various um, different organizations that like wanted a cannon out in the front. Mm -hmm. Rockport has one. I think, I don't know what the building is if you're going down like the, I don't know, Main Dragon, Rockport. It's oh, like, their community center. Yeah, the Rockport Community, community Center. Mall. That's one of yeah. the Constitution guns. And then Gloucester has those two. There's only 33 remaining ones, 14 of which are in Massachusetts. Wow. And three of which are on Cape Ann. Um, mm. and, and those were cast iron or cast they were, steel? Yeah, cast, probably cast iron, yeah. yeah. They were, 
cheaply made. They're not. I mean, they weren't made for like close inspection. And, and they, there's no way those could ever be used. They're not. They're not no, uh, metallurgical steel. I no, mean, they're not. There's no touch hole to fire them. Yeah. Um, there's a. They weren't. A lot of times, that lathe turned it after it was cast to like take out any kind of, you know, any weld lines and stuff. But that was kind of just slapped together for display. They're props, sort yeah. of. Yeah. But historically significant, nonetheless. Yes. yes. At this point, Certainly, they're over 100 yeah. years old. Right. Uh, the same year that the DAR added the cannons to the to the fort there, um, the first, uh, you know, Boudreaux Field was added, and Parisi Field was added, and a new playground. The playground seemed to get uh, redone every 10 years or so. Bob, did you ever play ball in Boudreaux Field or Parisi uh, Field? I played... Uh, Ball at the Parisi Field. Uh huh. Was that a, is that baseball? Baseball. Yeah. Yes, that was baseball. And then, uh, how about the cupboard restaurant that was built in 1932 as a refreshment stand? Right. And I uh, went there as a little boy, and later on, when I was a young adult, my mother went to work there as a cook. Oh. So I have a good connection with the cupboard. I guess. And they still serve good ice cream. I'm getting <laughs> hungry thinking about it. They have good cheeseburgers, too. <laughs> and the same family has had it now since about 1960, the Sakata family. Uh-huh. Excellent. It's That's, a real amenity for the is, park. It is. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really important. Um, in 1936, the Cressy's Beach seawall was constructed. And uh, this was during the Great Depression, so it was one of the Works Progress Administration projects that were done here. Uh, other ones that we've had have included the wonderful murals that we have in the post office and uh, city hall and other places. Um, and I and I think uh, there were works progress administration projects with the quarries or the quarrymen. Um, there's um, well the Babs and the Boulders. Babs and Boulders, yeah. yeah, and others. So Cressy's the Cressy's Beach Seawall was in in that uh, group of projects that had, took place during the Great Depression. I would also say, though, that, that considering the orientation of, uh, of the beach there, there probably was quite a lot of erosion, beachfront mm -hmm. erosion taking place, mm -hmm. which it, it would have needed to have been done anyway. Right. So I don't think they just, it's not an arbitrary project. They that, didn't make it up in order it's, to no, keep I people think, busy. <laughs> I think it was probably a, a necessary thing, and yeah. particularly since we, there were a couple of big hurricanes in the 30s. That's that, right. There was a real the, deadly one. In 39, there yeah. was a really bad one. So it was right. a good thing they did it. Wow. So I, uh, some people say that Cressy's Beach needs to be restored now. Apparently, a lot of the sand has been washed away. And it's very rocky there. It I, was uh, rocky uh, many years ago. Oh, it was rocky before? Back in the 50s. It was ah. About half the beach was, uh, I can't say half. I'd say maybe 25% of the beach was sandy. Mm -hmm. And the other three quarters was very rocky. I know that personally. So they I must have it. brought sand in uh, to try to make a beach out of it, and now I the sand has eroded natural. away? Oh, really? I think it was natural. Yeah. Well, they, they're they about to uh, dredge the Anasquam River, and they could probably take sand from there, there and put it on would, the beach. What a good idea. We should propose that. That's a very good idea. <laughs> uh, let me see. We're getting up into modern times now. In the 1950s, a lot of improvements were made to the park's uh, landscaping and recreational facilities. New walkways were put in and more picnic tables were put in. And then in 1986, very recently, that's when the Antonio Gentili bandstand was built. Um, now, there was a bandstand before that one at some point. At a different location. At a different location. 
So you, you've actually played in that bandstand, haven't As you? As a matter of fact, I played at the first concert there. Really? What, uh, in, uh, in 1986? Or? In 1986. Oh. And uh, another thing that's kind of interesting for me is that um, Tony uh, Gentile, who the bandstand is oh, named Gentile. after. Oh, Gentile. I said Gentile. I'm well, sorry. Well, actually, um, there's a controversy on that, and I think the family likes Gentile better than Gentile. Oh, oh okay. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I had my first lesson with him, uh, and shortly after that, he had a heart attack, and he retired. Uh, was it because of your lesson? I know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. How was he, he was despairing in, of your musical career? I walked in with the trumpet, and I walked out with a baritone. He told me the baritone horn was the best instrument to play, and I believe he's right. Mm, okay. Interesting. I still play it today. Good for you. As a matter of fact, this year I played a concert on the bandstand. Ah, Bravo, Bob. Wonderful. Yeah. This park is getting a lot of use. It is absolutely a beautiful location. Uh, with the views of the harbor, and also um, the topography of it is kind of uh, how it rises up. Uh, it really hosts the events very nicely, mm -hmm. the lower field and the upper field. Right. Well, I uh, I remember a powwow that was held there back in uh, 2012, um, and it was held, I think, behind the grandstand in that sort of hollow was where the drummers were. Uh, it's actually the last powwow we've we've had here. The, the, you're referring to a Native American Native conclave. American powwow, yeah. yeah. And I do remember the three ring circuses they used to have there. Uh huh. Um, and um, they couldn't have one there now because they planted trees, oh, which is right. beautiful, and yeah. they have that playground, uh, right. which uh, the uh, the Rotary, the Gloucester Rotary uh, funds uh, to help mm -hmm. keep of it, and. Um, so that, that has changed things. You used to have carnivals there and all kinds of things. But mm -hmm. now I think it's a, a beautification and still uh, they can hold a lot of events there. I know they're uh, planning to uh, make a permanent home for the farmer's market there, um, which is an, e an event that right. in, the, uh, in season happens, I think, twice a month, does it? Uh, or is no, it twice a week? It's every week. Every week. During the summer. Right. Every Thursday. On a Thursday. Every Thursday. Starts right. at 3 o'clock. Okay. And uh, I, I think they're going to put it over somewhere in the parking lot area, and they're going to expand the parking in the parking lot. Right. And this brings us to our most recent development in Stage 4 Park, uh, which is preparations for uh, enhancing and re-landscaping the park for the 400th anniversary, which will be in 2023, coming up in just a few years. So uh, the city has uh, uh, hired a team to do an archaeological survey of Stage Fort Park. And we've actually received the first uh, um, report on it. Um, it's, uh, it. It's still a work in progress, but we have a draft of a report on it. And it, it has some interesting findings about the, uh, ar the archaeology of the site. And the purpose of the of the project was to identify areas that might have very significant cultural remains that we should try not to uh, disturb, um, and to identify areas where, yeah, sure, go ahead, plow it up and relandscape it. There's no nothing of any danger there. Um, Bill, you you are you've been on top of this project. The um, the UMass uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst um, team. Uh, have pointed out some, it, again, their their uh, report is preliminary, and so we can't go into great detail, but 
they have, I think, highlighted areas that have uh, high, medium, and low potential for archaeological remains. And a significant part of the 60 acres of, of Stage 4 Park is disturbed. It's been uh, regraded over the years. Soil's been taken away. Fields have been leveled, et cetera, et cetera. And that's destroyed a lot of the archaeological record. But there are some areas that uh, have the potential to keep some of the prehistoric and, and historic uh, archaeological stratigraphy. And so those areas are are being uh, highlighted and will be hopefully investigated with uh, more um, direct means of, of small test pits and shovel test pits and some stratigraphic excavations to determine what's there. And so I'm hoping that there is still some of the, the very interesting history uh, preserved in, the, in these areas, but we don't know yet. It'll be fun to find out, and when we do find out, we will give and make another podcast for you to tell you all about it. The thing that interests me the most about uh, studying the history of Stage Fort Park was how in each era, the park is a reflection of the people and their desires. Um, and you can see uh, each age as times change, how the park is a reflection of the changes that happen in the wider society. Uh, for example, um, recently, uh, the Welcome Center was rebuilt and pathways were made handicapped accessible. Uh, new benches were added, a parking lot was added, and the dog park was built. And as I, as we were just saying, um, you know, there are plans to restore the fort for the 400th uh, anniversary, and that will be a reflection of who we are now. All along, uh, Stage Fort Park has reflected uh, Gloucester's heritage and her people and their their desires. So it's a wonderful um, cultural resource for uh, everyone in our community and uh, we should be really glad that it's managed to be preserved and we should go on and uh, continue to do so. Anybody have anything they want to add? No, we, we yeah. look forward to uh, further archaeological work, and, yeah. and we, we wish the Department of Public Works uh, good luck and, and yeah. uh, with their renovation schemes. And so we, we all want to uh, be able to enjoy the, the uh, park from, and our descendants for many, many years into the future. Right. Wonderful. Okay, thank you. Till next time. 